Blog Talk Radio. Uh, so 
it kind of gives us uh, gives us collectors a little glimmer of hope. There's a box of uh, you know of National Chick Skybirds. Could there be a box of National 35 National Chick Football out there? There's just uh, just never been seen. There's there's wrappers that we've seen, but no one's ever seen an unopened wax pack. Uh, and definitely my white whale, the 35 Chickle uncut sheet. That it just uh, just gives you that glimmer of hope, I guess, like finding water on Mars. Now I'm curious. Uh, do you have any idea what the box is currently going for? How many millions of dollars, if at all? <laughs> Let me look here, Bob. Uh, I took a I took a snapshot of it. I I believe their auction's not open yet, is it? Or no, it oh, is. It's, it's running. Uh, Hang on a second. Let me look. I took a snapshot. It is at $26,804, not including VIG. So, yeah, that's cheap. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, Yeah, written on the box is received in 1933. So, not to say that can't be faked, but, I mean, this is – these are penny packs. I mean – it's right. I mean it's it's pretty right. easy to look through the wrapper. I mean there's a lot of design on it, but uh you know, so little is known about the chickles. I mean, you know, were chickles penny packs, were they nickel packs, was there gum? Uh, I would imagine there was gum in there. It's national chickle mm-hmm. gum. So mm-hmm. you know, they're they're considered they're you know yeah. so we we could imagine. But uh you know, and the the topic came up, what would what would a an unopened pack of you know of 35 chickle go for? Uh, and we know that the the chickles were issued, you know, originally with the uh, the first series, aka the first 24 cards right. were issued, and then later on, you know, the second series, the second 12 cards came. Uh, we know that the first 24 cards have, you know, nearly quadruple the population of the second series 12 cards. Uh, but I mean. Did uh, you know after they came out the other twelve cards? Did they start mixing? Uh, did they start mixing them up? Did uh, you know? Could you get a nickel pack with uh, you know some first series cards in there, a couple second series cards, including the uh, you know obviously the you know the ultimate card, the uh, number thirty four Nagurski. Uh, it's just there's not a lot known. I mean, if it's a one card, you know penny pack uh, with gum up against it, I mean you take something that's ninety years old like that and Obviously, there's going to be gum stain. So, but I don't know. There's just it, I think it's just. It, it, I think, in my opinion, I, I truly believe there's there's unopened 35 national chickle football out there, and I think it hasn't come to the market. It's one of those uh, undisturbed finds, and or someone is yeah. holding on to it. And I, I really predict that something is like that out there. Now, what will be interesting to see as a parallel, whoever wins these 91 packs, okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to try to encapsulate all 91 packs and get them graded? Mm. Are you going to actually open something to see what's in it? Are you going to just mm. keep it intact? So on and so forth. So, you know, what I, what I find interesting is the way it's being marketed as the 91 packs, um, you know, complete in the box, 
as as one lot. I I personally think it might have been. Well, I don't know. I I would have I would have broken it up to get to have a few people get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then just break everything down and then sell it and sell the box separately, sell packs separately, so on and so forth. But I'm not the auctioneer, so therefore, you know, I, I, we have no input whatsoever on it. But I do predict that'll probably break a hundred thousand with the uh, with the uh, buyer's premium on it easily, easily yeah. making uh, you each know each pack. 30- that expensive, yeah. so. Yeah. Well, 33 Skybirds, 33 Chickle Skybirds is a very popular set. I mean, uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't collect a lot of non-sports, but I've heard of it. I think it's beautiful. It's a stunning set, so it's not a very thinly traded set. Uh, right. You know, right. so, I mean, there, there, there's, some, there's some dry powder out there that, you know, you – you know, you know that people have that something like this comes along this once in forever. I mean, and right, there's people right. that it, it's it hits that realm of must have. Uh, but you remember what was it like? You know, 13, 15 years ago, you know, somebody discovered uh, several cello packs. Their uncle worked for Tops in 1955 right. and had taken a couple couple boxes of cello. Uh, so for yep, decades, yep. the number one set. I had a bunch of PSA nines. All of a sudden, this gentleman came along, and uh, he, you know, started getting PSA tens graded, and he easily took over the number one spot. But suddenly, just right. you know, everything we knew about this all-American set was busted wide open just by this one great find of, you know, an uncle worked for Tops, brought some boxes home, stuffed it in an attic, or you know, stuffed it in a closet. Excuse me. And years later, it was discovered. I mean, uh, I agree right. with you, Bob. There's a, there's a box, there's a pack, there's a something, and my fingers are crossed. There's an uncut, you know, sheet. I don't care if it's printer's proof. I don't care if it's a blank pack. There's an uncut sheet of uh, National Chickle out there somewhere, and you want to talk about a must-have. If one of those appeared, that would be. I'd start. I'd start recycling cans the next day to save up. Right. I I went through some. Um some older notes I had today knowing we were going to talk about the Chickles and I go back about 12 years to a fella who contacted me via email at the time and and he basically just collected the 35 Chickles set. I didn't write down his name for whatever reason. I'm very surprised about it. But um, he bought all my Chickles at the time. So this was roughly 2008. I remember setting up at the Baltimore National the last time it was there and I had a bunch of chickles with me and I remember one guy ended up buying buying them all and I said to him straight out I said you wouldn't happen to be a guy who bought from me I, I introduced myself and he says oh yeah you, you are the guy I bought them from so I said is that all you collect he says yeah that's, I, I only collect 1935 National Chickles so I said, are you hoarding them? Wow. And he says, not really. He said, I, you know, I buy them, and I keep trying to put more and more sets together. He wouldn't disclose how many sets he had. And, and again, I, I never took his name down. I don't, I don't remember. But he was from the Maryland area, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So, anyways, it popped in my mind, and I went into my notes today since we were going to talk about the Skybird. I'm wondering if that type of person is somebody who might have, you know, the wrapper hidden away or have the um, – you know the uh, uh, display box, or, you know, yeah. you know, you know, 
Yeah. That would be that'd be fascinating if it did. So. I I've just always so. thought of these historic finds like this, like you know, somebody will come forth four or five packs, and it'll be you know my you know my dad, my grandfather, you know was thirteen. He lived in Philadelphia. Um, you know he bought these yeah, packs yeah. when he was a kid and put them put them in his shoebox. Uh, you know we found the shoebox. You know et, et cetera. He you know, I mean as morbid as it sounds, you know they you know they put it in shoebox. He died of polio and you right. know, you know right. something something. Like that, and you know, it just you, you just—it's it, out there, you know. It's yep. like a glimmer yep. of hope, you know. It's, it's you know, it's just—it's life. It's you know, for us hobbyists, I mean, you know, I've collected wax packs at various times. I still go on eBay every once in a while and do a little eBay search and think about it and go, nope, nope, nope. Fifty percent of those are bad, <laughs> but yep. uh, discovering yep. chickle wax—I mean, it'd be. It'd be incredible, and like I've said before, uh, you know, reach out to me if anyone out there has a line on a 35 chickle uncut sheet. I'm a, I'm a buyer. I'm a buyer, uh, and you've got a you've got a whale on the end of the hook. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I, I know my station in this hobby, <laughs> so uh, it would just it would just be an incredible find. I mean, and I just go, yeah. I go back to yeah. the 48 leaf, uh, you know, partial uncut sheet that I bought a decade ago. And right, right. I just I I I paid whatever the guy was asking. Didn't hesitate. I've never looked back, and I've never seen another yep. one since. So, yep. uh, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, your forty-eight leaf is, your for, your forty-eight leaf is rare, rare. I mean, it's a one-on-one. And again, that's another. That's a really good example because again, how many are out there? Probably two, maybe yeah. yours and somebody's yeah. uh, something that's buried somewhere type of thing. So it's uh, it's really incredible one way or the other if you think about it that you know this came yeah. to the market and you know we'll see where the price actually ends up uh it, you know I predict with the buyer's premium well over 100,000 I could be way off I mean this this could be a 2 300,000 yeah. dollar sale who knows well, you know I was so. I was trying to think about cuz we've never known uh, we're pretty sure 35 chicken was cut on you know on uh you know 24 you, you know, on 24, you know, card uncut sheets. And then 12 right, later, right. so they were, you know, they were, you know, single printed later with, you know, uh, with, with the, you know, half of the first series. I started playing around because, you know, the, the Skybird is, you know, a series of 144, but only 108, you know, cards were ac- actually issued. So if you take a 24, you know, card uncut sheet and you multiply it by six, you get 144 cards, which is what the series of 144 would be I would imagine so they had six you know sheet runs but there is no 108 divisible by 24 it ends up being you know ends up being you know right, four right. and a half uh, really so I mean obviously there's some you know there's some uh, you know you know some double print cards or not double print I guess there's some cards that were only done every other sheet you know it's right. the only way the math right. works out if it's a 24 card uncut sheet uh, which is weird. It'd be I, I I love the Skybird, but I I I'm not that into the set. So it'd be interesting to look at what the short prints are, you know, in the set. And I'd be yeah. I'd be willing to bet you could do the math and figure out which which twelve cards were on the tail end of that you know fourth sheet, you know, that were only mm-hmm. single printed. Mm-hmm. So 
Truly, truly amazing. But I still maintain that, and, I, and we're both in agreement. The there are still hidden gems in the market. There are still things waiting to be found. As much as so many different things have been found, uh, there's still uh, you know still avenues. There's still places to look, and yep. you, you know never know what's going to come out there one way or the other. And again, it'll be nice for the hobby to really confirm the 35 chickle all around uh, distribution somehow, the printed sheet somehow, the wax pack somehow, so on and so forth. So that, that's something to definitely look forward to. I really, I really hope we can, uh, it will happen one day and uh, we'll see it. It'll truly be amazing to say the least. And yeah, no, and that's not to say too, there's still going to be other stuff out there, you know, from the, Late forties, fifties, and and early sixties that are just just lurking out there, waiting to be found, and that'll have a strong impact on the hobby also at the same time. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to to see uh, what happens in the long run. And I know yeah. you have announced you have announced tonight if there is a thirty five <laughs> uncut sheet out there, you would like to purchase it. And, I'll be the go-between for contacting my co-host. My <laughs> reach out to Bob. Bob at Gridiron Greats. Uh, yeah, trust me, I would. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I won't. I won't give my email address. It's way too complicated, and I'd have to explain it to too many people. Uh, but it's. Uh, that's why I use my work email address most of the time, Bob. <laughs> I think most people gave up on my hotmail address. Uh, for, yeah. yeah, but. No, it, yeah. it just it, it does give us hope, doesn't it? I mean, you you think about oh, I mean, yeah. there's a uh, there's a convenience store, a, a convenience store like five six years ago, and I forget what they found, but you know, in back, you know, somebody was cleaning out the shelves and stuffed in the way back was, you know, something like a 48 Bowman box, you know, with 10 yeah. packs in it, yeah. and uh, I, I forget what year it was, but it's just they're like, man, no one's ever cleaned that shelf. You know, and you think right, about it, you're like, right. right, 60 years, no one's ever cleaned that shelf. I mean, and they've been yep, sitting there. Yep. Uh, yep. It gives you hope that, you know, in a convenience store, in a shoebox, in an attic, somewhere, yep. there's uh, there's some uncut, there's some 35 chickle wax packs uh, stuffed in a closet, Hidden. you know, somewhere is an uncut sheet. So a, a printer, somebody worked for Chickle, and they're a printer. Somebody brought sheets home and showed them to their kids. And th- those kids rolled them up and put them somewhere. Yeah, so yeah, amazing. We've heard we've heard Truly many amazing. stories of, you know, uh, the dad who was the printer who brought stuff home and showed the kids. I mean, uh, we had a guest previously who, you know, whose dad worked and you know showed him stuff. Was it was right? That right. Leland right. was that Josh? I think it was Josh, wasn't it? No, anyways, but yeah, but very cool. Just uh, just a historic thing, and I, I like Mile High. They've always had really, they've always ended up with really cool things, uh, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool option, you know, time right now. You've got, uh, you know, you know, the tail end of Heritage, uh, you know, Mile High Huggins starts here in a little while. They just opened their preview up. It didn't look like there was very good stuff in there. And, uh, Huggins usually has one or two cool things, but looks like they kind of drew a blank on this one. But oh well, even Michael Jordan missed free throws. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty amazing one way or the other what what will come out, and it'll, it'll be amazing to see in the long run 
you know what what this is going to go for in the market. So it's uh, it'll be interesting one way or the other. So all right, it's at this time I'd like to introduce our special guest. He is the founder and CEO of Ebbets Field Flannels. I'd like to introduce to our show tonight, Mr. Jerry Cohen. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you guys? We're good. Uh, We're good. Great. Sorry, I Jerry, called in just a, a minute late. <laughs> oh. uh, no problem. No, no problem. worries. No problem. Jerry, thanks Jerry, for being on the show. I'm a huge, huge fan of your uh, your website. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks. Jerry, I'd like to start off by asking you, how did you start Ebbets Field Flannels? Can you give our listeners uh, some background? Yeah. It was a long time ago in the pre-internet dawn of time in the late 80s, um, <laughs> I, if anybody out there remembers that. I uh, I was at the time just looking for a uh, one of the old uh, flannel baseball shirts for myself, um, basically to wear on stage. I was playing in bands at the time, and actually still do, but... Um, and uh, I had a kind of a background in uh, baseball history just as an amateur, you know, fan. And I loved uh, growing up graphics, all sports graphics, but mostly baseball. So long story short is I couldn't find what I wanted. And um, I tried a few things, a little ads in magazines I responded to and was frustrated. And uh, that made me mad and that made me obsessed and one thing led to another and uh, had a few shirts made for myself, and then people wanted to buy them. And so that's what started Ebbets Field Flannels back in 1988. Wow. Wow. You had a quote somewhere, Jerry, that was, uh, you know, a fruitless search for vintage flannel baseball jerseys led to you know, the formation of Ebbets. I, I really like that, the fruitless search. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, that's that's almost how I found you. I I well, I, I literally I've been looking for like Red Grange and uh, and Jim Thorpe jerseys, and I stumbled across your Canton Bulldog, you know, jerseys, you know, a, about a month ago, and I was, you know, two hours later, I'm done looking at your website. It was it was it was an amazing rabbit hole to go down. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, Thorpe is, uh, as you know, a interesting character because he. He was such an integral part of sports in the early 20th century, not just obviously in the Olympics, but he played uh, professional baseball as well as football. Um, and yeah. we actually, we've actually done a few jerseys that he wore at different times. Um, you know, back back in an earlier version uh, of the company or an earlier time in the company, we made his Oorang Indians jersey as well in the. Uh, oh, wow. 19- the 1920s NFL, you know, when they had teams going in and out of the league for like a single season for 10 years or so. Oh, yeah. wow. Jerry, this is the one place you can nerd out. Yeah. And this is probably the only other place you'd be able to mention the Uran Indians, and we know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, not many people would. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Obviously, you're a, yeah. Yeah. Obviously you're a huge baseball fan. I mean, Evans Field, you know, you know, historic field that, you know, in New York, uh, you know, and I know you get your inspiration from looking at, you know, some old baseball cards and just seeing the vintage uniforms. Uh, do, you, do you collect football related? Are you, you know, football I, I don't, I, I am not a collector in that traditional sense. Like I, you know, it's, it's a profession for me. So any, 
any desires I have for as a hobby really kind of went a long time ago. Um, when I was a kid, the cards were important because, you know, back in the in the sixties, um, a lot of people would have trouble relating to this, but we actually didn't even have a color television yet. Um, so to see, you know, all of my all of my early days of watching sports were on black and white television in the mm. in the you know mid late sixties. Oh wow. And and yeah. therefore the the cards I would love to get the baseball cards especially because you could see the the uniforms in color, and that was the mm-hmm. only place other than other than you know some magazines like Sports Illustrated um, that you actually saw the color. So that was my relationship to cards. Unfortunately, was not by if I had been smarter and had more foresight, I would have collected player cards that became valuable. But I didn't care about the players. I only cared about the uniforms. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, wow. I don't have a valuable baseball card collection. Well, that, goes, that goes back what, to my what, what, what? that goes back to my story when I was a kid. I used to put uh, the football cards on the top of the TV set for the two teams that were playing. So I had a, I had yeah. a good handle seeing what the uniforms were actually in color, and I was always mesmerized <laughs> because living in Connecticut in the middle of winter. And the four o'clock game is from the West Coast, and I would always ask my father, "Why is it? Why is it nice over there? Why? Do, why is it snowing over there?" Type of thing. Yeah. And uh, that—that's definitely a memory of growing up in the '60s. That's for sure. Yep. What, yep. Jerry, do you remember what what year baseball set that was that you remember that you kind of became enamored and hooked on in baseball? What set? What year? Yeah. What year set was it? I mean, because what at fifty-one. I think 50, 52 tops obviously was color. Fifty-three. Yeah, Bowman no, was no, it was much later because it was concurrent with me being a fan. In the, uh, you oh. know, I lived in uh, New Jersey, in the, you know, near near New York City, so I was a Mets fan back then um, because my dad was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. So you can see where the name of the company comes from. But um, so we inherited the Mets as kind of the replacement team. Yeah. And uh, so I was a National League fan. So the American League teams, for example, were very exotic to me because though we got Yankee games on TV, we didn't. I didn't really watch them. So I wasn't as familiar with the uniforms. But to answer your question, um, this would have been more in 66, 67, 68, that period that I started to, to really see the cards. Well, I always like remember that for – yeah, for some reason, I would end up with uh, was it Joe Brinkman from the Washington Senators? I don't know why, but I must have had eight, or, eight or ten of those damn ones, just just randomly. A, but um, yeah. You've done a great job of losing your New Jersey accent, Jerry. Congratulations. Yeah, well, I've been on the West Coast for so long that I just more or less have the generic <laughs> Western U.S. accent now. <laughs> totally, Jerry. You see. You say your company's uh, your company saying is vintage authentic and it shows yep. how you, you produce everything. Can you tell us right. about the process? If someone came to you with a custom jersey request, for example, what research might you be doing? How, do, how does the process actually work? Well, we're 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 pretty limited in what we can do, what we call custom. And uh, some people are disappointed because they want to, they like to draw something on the back of a napkin and have us create it for them. And <laughs> we're not, you know, that's not, doesn't really work for, for this kind of thing. So for custom for us is let's say 
they had a grandfather or a relative who played minor league baseball for some obscure team, and they send us a picture. Always, it's always black and white, and uh, we can convert that and you know use our skills and our eyes doing this research for 30 years and accurately recreate that jersey. Although sometimes there might be some guesswork involved on the colors, but um, but basically um, there's just either we have the research or the customer will send it on, in terms of custom. We have to disappoint a lot of people because people want a very elaborate one-off hockey jersey sometimes, and they don't really understand that that's something that has to be programmed into a knitting machine. And to do that for a one-piece order is not really possible, um, you know, at any reasonable price. So mm-hmm. we're pretty limited on those custom ones or what we're calling custom to flannel baseball jerseys, you know, football if it's not too complicated. You know, fortunately, most football jerseys were, you know, simple sleeve stripe patterns, and we have most of those already programmed. But if they want a hockey jersey with very elaborate three-color striping on the body, that's something we need, you know, a dozen pieces at least to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process really is usually that. There's usually not an original garment we can look at. That, of course, makes it very easy. But um, we we have a very good archive of athletic fonts. We know what oh. the patterns were. We know what the manufacturers did at the, any given time. So, you know, with our background, um, we can usually do what people want. That's you had a really fascinating video. To me, to me uh, just, to, just to make this point, um, I like collecting, I have a handful of athletic um, equipment catalogs uh, yeah. for football. And I always thought that, was, you know, for guys who collect footballs and helmets and stuff like that, that's a great reference tool as far as yep. looking at the stuff. So I, I'll assume like older magazines would probably be, something that could be used also to say, you know, sure. for, for example, an old pro football from uh magazine from the forties or whatever, uh, might have some pictures of the uniforms or whatever. Do you have those kind of items on file? I'm just curious. We do. The, it's, it's fairly random. It's not like any vast okay, archive right. of them okay. that I can look at, but, uh, you know, um, my first, our earlier years were really focused on baseball. So, those files, I still have the physical, you know, files in alphabetical order by city, you know, filing cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, you know, when the Internet started to take over, you know, I, I save anything I find, I save in a, in a folder in various different places, and and then I could usually refer to it quickly. But um, in terms of magazines, yeah, we have a lot of them, but they're kind of random, one from this year, one from that year. They're not like a no collection right. of, of a lot of them. In any, They're very just, you know, it's very difficult to find that stuff. I did used to buy these old, like you mentioned, the athletic catalogs, so Wilson Spaulding and many of the ones mm-hmm. that are no mm-hmm. longer with us. I have several of those, and they're really wonderful resources. Some of them were, were just, the illustrations were just gorgeous. And what people don't really realize is that, for example, um, in the 1930s and 1940s, speaking just about football, football uniforms or jerseys were offered in maybe 10 fabrics. You know, they were, you know, lightweight wool, heavyweight wool. The Doreen fabric started to become available 
much earlier than even I realized. In the late 30s, they were already offering the Doreen, which to those who don't know, Doreen was a was a plated um, cotton and rayon or nylon right. that started to take the place, supplant the wool. Um, by the 50s, pretty much all of it had, you know, wool was pretty much gone in football. But um, but anyway, some of these catalogs are, are quite um, spectacular, and they're great resources. Can you imagine wearing a wool uniform in the South playing football? You know, if you really look at our football jerseys as well as some from the time, um, it's they're not as uncomfortable or as heavy as you may assume. There's a, you know, um, jersey knit, which is actually a technical term, is a much finer knit than say sweater knit. Um, so okay. the wool was not was not that chunky. It was very tightly woven, and it actually had a lot of give to it. So, um, and even the flannel baseball uniforms, particularly of the 50s and 60s, were very, very lightweight and very comfortable. Um, people assume that well, the wool was gone because of comfort, but this is one thing that I, I never tire of correcting this mythology, is that when baseball switched out of the wool flannels, it wasn't for comfort. The, the double-knit polyesters that initially replaced them were actually heavier, and they didn't breathe in the heat. So the the idea was not so much the player comfort, it was the ease of care, where a wool jersey would have to be stitched back together if it was, for example, um, torn, because it was a woven fabric. Yeah. Uh, the, the polyester double knits were just popped back into shape, and you could throw them in a dryer, which you couldn't do with the wool ones. So it really had nothing to do with comfort. The flannels, if you look at pictures of Mickey Mantle, that era in particular, uh, Roger Maris, Mantle, the 60s, Willie Mays, those guys were wearing extremely lightweight flannels that had um, synthetics um, blended into them. And they were cut, you know, in such a way as to provide a lot of comfort and a lot of um, breathability. And the polyesters, on the other hand, in the early 70s were very heavy and they, they were form-fitting. So you see the, you know, the V-necks and the, the three-color belt, elastic belts and all that stuff. Um, so that was really the change. It was more of an ease of care than it was a comfort issue. Wow. wow. Well, you know your you know your uniforms and fabrics, Jerry. Well, you know we believe in wool, really so we really just hate when people say, "Oh, how do they wear those?" <laughs> because we're trying to sell wool. Wow. wow, no, it's amazing. I, yeah, I love it. You you touched briefly on just customization of certain things, and I yep. mentioned in our you know our our email exchange, I've been searching for a long time for an authentic uh, Red Grange jersey from his playing days at Illinois. Yeah, it's a colorful uniform with stripes on the arms. It's just it's beautiful. I had never been able to find it, and that's you know. So I was asking about the process of like you know, if, you know, there's a custom jersey. I mean, but one that you could probably you know, you know, take vertical and, and stock or something. What's the process you, like if somebody comes? Uh, with something yeah. Like that? So I'm looking now that you were talking about it. So he did wear what we call the friction cloth jersey which, um, you know, the one with the strips and the V yeah, on, the, on, the, on the arm. Yeah, that yeah. is extremely, that is the one that we have really tried to crack. And the reason is, though that 
they used to call those, okay, so for folks who don't know, if you've seen like pictures of 1920s football, particularly college football, a uh, player will have uh, a bunch of strips of cloth sewn, usually in a pattern, on top of the jersey and on the arms of the jersey. That was supposedly to give the ball carriers more grip ability when they held the football. And often, oh. often you'll see it. You'll often you'll see a team picture where only about half the players are wearing the the strips of cloth, and that's because the players who were not eligible to carry the ball didn't didn't need them, and they would wear just a solid jersey. So. Um, wow. Again, referring back to what I was just talking about in the, uh, we learned this from looking at the athletic catalogs for the manufacturers. That was called friction cloth, and they used a, a few different fabrics to do it. One was called airplane cloth, and one was called friction cloth, and it had little uh, ridges in it. You can't always see it in the picture, so it kind of yeah, yeah. had a rough texture. So anyway. Unfortunately, none of that stuff is available. You know, you'd have to get some company to actually manufacture um, that cloth. You can fake it a little bit with canvas, but because you would need to to cut it into strips, the the process to try to create that red grange would just, you know, we've done it for people, but it's just such a pain. Um, and it all has to be manually cut and then cut into that pattern so that the different strips create that shape. Uh, I've seen in colleges sometimes they would even form a big letter out of that cloth, like North Dakota had a giant N in the friction cloth. Oh, wow. Um, wow. But um, I've, I'm looking now at uh, Red Grange, we, and as I said, I think earlier in an email, we have made his uh, New York Yankees jersey w um, with yeah. his 77 for when he, he actually left the Bears. He was, you know, too big a star and wanted his own league basically to so his agent actually started the American Football League the original American Football League as a mm -hmm. rival to the NFL and Red Grange was yeah. signed to headquarter their their um their flagship team which was the New York Yankees Yeah but but Jerry Jerry who was his agent I knew you were going to ask me that and uh hey, the name a football crowd brother Pile Pile CC Pile do you see Cash and Carrie Pyle? Yeah, that's right. Cash and It it came out of, it came out of my brain from somewhere, but um yeah and the you know we go on I love this obscure stuff but the AFL the Yankees were very successful but most of the other teams in the AFL um, were totally riding on Red Grange's fame. Oh, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like if Will Chamberlain had gone to the ABA and that was the only yeah. well known player they had. Um, yeah. You know that. So whenever the whenever Red Grange was in town, they'd fill the stadium, but the rest of the time they they struggled. So he went. I think he went back to the Bears after that. After he blew a knee out, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. They they played the they they played his old team, the Bears. He blew a knee out and yep. uh, and uh, and took a year off. Made some really crappy movies. Then went back to the Bears as a as a defensive back and. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're you're in the you're in a safe place here, Jerry. We can talk football, <laughs> we can talk grain, popcorn. Yeah. Uh, but so that so in other words, the Illinois jersey would just be too hard. But I mean, if somebody came to you and said, you know, if somebody like you know, like me came to you and said, I love that jersey, what would the price be? I mean, because well, for that one. For 
you know, to to hand cut all those pieces of canvas and put that probably be a five hundred dollar project to knit the thing and stitch it together and then stitch on. It really comes down to the hand labor. That's what you're paying for yeah. more than in that case. You, we did. We had a guy uh, must have been four years ago, and we I I regretted taking that damn order. It was just cursed because. He gave us plenty of time, which people don't often do for custom work. But he did give us enough time. But he wanted one of those Red Grange jerseys for his whole family. So he ordered like six of them. And he needed them for Christmas. He needed them for Christmas, and we thought we could do it. And we went down to the wire. And I just remember all that damn canvas and scissors and, you know, (laughs) trying to match those things up. It was a nightmare. Um, we did get it to him, so it, it we did get it we get we did get it done, but we undercharged him because we we had no idea when we took the order of how long it would take to make those. Well, so um, well, I wish there was a I wish there was an easier way to do those because I I happen to personally really love that style of jersey. I think they're great. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I'd love to I'd love to order. Well, we'll take that offline. I'd love to firm up an order of a Red Grange Illinois jersey. All right. It's my favorite, my favorite jersey. It's one I've been looking for, and uh, you know, yeah. So we'll we'll take that offline. But I, I want to wear okay. that to the next <laughs> national, just so, just so everybody can go. Where the hell did you get that cool jersey? And I'll yep. go, Evans, baby, <laughs> Evans. Uh, what a you you have really good blogs, you know, on your website. Again, I I spent a couple hours on your website. I'm 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 that I'm that guy. Uh, and one of your first blogs was about the Pacific Coast League. I, I live in Portland, just a little bit south of you. And yeah. uh, I, I love that you had your, your favorite hat pick, Jerry's hat. And it was the San Francisco Seals, and I hadn't heard of them, so I looked at it a little yeah. bit. Obviously, the, the Portland Beavers down here were part of the PCL, and Jim Thorpe played you know, here in 1916, which is a little little tidbit, played for the Beavers mm-hmm. for one year. Uh, you know, PC, what, what's your what's your history at the PCL, the San Francisco Seals, and oh, the, why no love? The PCL is is huge for us. I mean, um, when I moved Bad. to Seattle yeah. in '86, I learned about the the Rainiers, which was the Seattle team up at, up till the ill-fated Pilots uh, were here for one year. But the PCL, I mean, there's not enough time probably to to really get into it. But what your listeners should know about it was, until the mid '50s, there were only uh, 10 or excuse me, 16 major league baseball teams and in 10 cities, all of them east of St. Louis. So, mm-hmm. and minor league baseball was structured differently then. They, they were not, uh, people have a hard time understanding that the minor league teams were mostly independent. So they weren't what you would call farm teams. They, they made deals with major league teams and they sold players but they were not totally a part of their organization. So the the setting for the Coast League, um, you know, the Coast League was obviously up and down the West Coast, um, San Diego to Seattle, and all the major cities in between. But the baseball culture was every bit as rich as it was in the two major leagues. And a lot of the players, frankly, didn't want to play major league baseball because, you know, in the Coast League – for a long time they played 200 games a year because of the weather was good and they could stay home near their families. They didn't have to take a, you know, another job. And, you know, some great players like Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, just to name two 
came out of the Coast League and were stars in the Coast League before they went to the majors. And so the the baseball tradition on the coast was they had their own thing. What really changed it was television of major league games started to be broadcast into the coast league cities and other minor league, big minor league cities in the early 50s, and it killed attendance because mm-hmm. suddenly people were staying home. Whereas earlier, you know, if you look at the attendance for the post-World War II Pacific Coast League, there were years where some of the coast league teams outdrew the St. Louis Browns in the majors. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. L.A. had two teams, Hollywood and, and the original Angels, L.A. Angels. The Bay Area had three teams at one point, Oakland, San Francisco, and Mission. And then there was Sacramento, San Diego, Seattle, and Portland. So the oh, Coast, League was, Coast League was huge. Um, great players, great managers, um, great ballparks for the most part, and great uniforms, um, which is another thing about it. Uh, they were they tended to be a little more colorful than their major league yeah. uh, counterparts. Now, of course, yeah. the Dodgers and Giants, you know, the Coast League, what was going to happen is kind of an alternate history of baseball. The Coast League got certified as as open classification. Instead, so, in other words, instead of AAA, they basically were exempted from the NFL, NB, uh, excuse me, MLB draft, and the plan was to certify them as the third major league. Well, uh, right. you know, Walter O'Malley had a slightly different idea and moved his Brooklyn Dodgers team and got Horace Stoneham to move the New York Giants to the West Coast, and that killed the Coast League in terms of it being a major league because they they took Mm -hmm. out the two biggest territories. And after that, the Coast League became, you know, currently still a regular, what I call a regular minor league. But before that, it was independent. And uh, you're right about Thorpe playing there uh, briefly. And Portland was was a great franchise. And, in fact, I believe the Portland Beavers, who are sadly no more, were the last of the classic eight Coast League cities to to stay. You know, Portland was was there through the 90s. Yep, Yep. they shut down in, I think, 2003 or 2004. Yeah, I think that's right. Got MLS soccer, so I yeah, they, des- they, de- they destroyed Civic Stadium. Well, from my point of view, because they were, where left field was, they added a, a soccer grandstand, so you can't yeah, play baseball exactly. there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I have a really good picture of Thorpe wearing that Portland jersey, standing you know in the field uh, that hangs in my office, and then going ah. to your website and seeing that Portland jersey was really cool. It was just, and you can see in your website, the, the photos are amazing. You can see, you can feel the texture of the fabric. Uh, yep. the, the, the picture is so, so high def. You, you can see the texture and, you know, just looking at the picture, you can feel, you know, quickly feel it. It's just, it's very fun. Yeah, it's, it's great. One, one good thing that the internet has done is much better quality photos are available than when I started. I mean, I, I literally went to the for the first two or three years of our business. I would go to the the Baseball Hall of Fame library in the winter time when it pretty much was shut down, um, but it was still open. But the town was basically shut down, and I just photographed mm-hmm. every sporting news and every magazine and photograph that was in there. 
Um, but I ended up with a lot of stuff, but it was very poor quality in a lot of times. And for what I do, um, the difference between a blurry black and white photo and a really highly detailed one, like you mentioned, is, is night and day. Because, for example, sometimes yeah. you can't tell initially that there's it's pinstripe fabric, you know, um, except on a better quality, richer toned picture where you can pick up details like yeah. that. Details of embroidery and sleeve patches, all that stuff. Um, yeah. The quality of the photo is really, really key. Another amazing thing Jerry, that has done is uh, cat, cat, cat videos, Jerry. Cat videos, the Internet has brought to us. Cat videos, is that right? I'll get on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Jerry, what are some of the biggest football uh, sellers for you, for your company? Well, this is new, relatively new because we just got our NFL license last year, um, oh, okay. late okay. second half of the year. So um, early, the the definitely Bart Starr Green Bay Packers jersey uh, is. You know, we only go up to 1960, so you have to remember um, that our time frame is fairly limited. And that's not up to us necessarily. That's just the scope of our license with the NFL. Um, okay. But but um, in terms of football, NFL football, the pa- the Boston Patriots. It's funny. Social media is great. Someone posted a uh, comment on our page mocking us for calling them the Boston Patriots, um, <laughs> as if as if we don't oh, know what Lord. we're doing. I resisted Sorry. responding, and fortunately, one of my other customers educated the uh, person and said, "You might want wow. to check wow. your history because they were the Boston Patriots <laughs> for several wow. years wow. Um, before they were New England." So, but the 1960 Boston Patriots um, is a big seller. The uh, Bart Starr 59 Packers. Um, we do pretty well with the Browns. Um, ah. 52 Browns. Um, I'm just looking here. Um, you know what? Uh, the Bills. You know those first year AFL teams were really, really fun. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Frank Gifford, '58 uh, New York Giants, the white one with the red stripes, oh, cool. is always a favorite of mine. Um, so those are those are probably. Oh, the Jim Otto um, Oakland Raiders. And we've had yeah. other people so called. You know, we've had people correct us, quote unquote, on the Raiders, saying they were never gold. Well, they were. Um, Nineteen sixty-three is when Al Davis took over the team and changed their colors to black and silver. So, right. so stuff like that. In terms of uh, the wool jerseys and collegiate jerseys, that's a little different. Um, I think the Princeton jersey is one of our our most popular, and the Army jersey. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That just warmed my heart, Jerry. Those are some really good jerseys you listed. Thank you. So, I, do do the your uh, you know do you have a favorite? I mean, and is is your top seller usually your favorite? Do they no, I mean, or? I I have my own favorites aesthetically, and sometimes they're not the ones that are the most yeah. obvious sales wise. Yeah. Um, but. For example, in in NFL, let me look here. I haven't talked about the NFL. The earlier NFL were wool, 
We don't sell as many of the wool, but um, I love that Sammy Bow Washington jersey from 48, even though it's yeah. it's very plain. The number style is really great. Um, and um, even though it's very odd, the, the 34 Detroit Lions is really cool. Just right. this, that mm-hmm. Honolulu mm-hmm. blue and it's the big weird number seven on it. Um, and I love, you know, my, I'm a Giants fan, really? sadly, um, New York Giants, but, um, the, the 33 Giants with the body stripes are a little bit like the Montreal Canadiens almost, mm-hmm. um, very unusual. I mean, I had a Giants fan go crazy and say, why are you making that Jersey? Nobody wants that Jersey, blah, blah, blah. Well, I made it cause I like it. Cause when, when you own the company, yeah. you have some privileges, but, <laughs> <Good for laughs> uh, and all the giant jerseys from that period that were associated with more winning teams were all plain blue, you know, solid blue or solid red. Um, so cool. quite a few. I like the Packers. You know, they, they've worn throwback versions of this Packers with the, yeah. the navy blue with the little circle with the number on it. Um, right, right. So, so those are some of my own favorites. Well, you just named some good for- ones that. That Detroit Lion, Bobby Lane, you know, number seven oh, yeah. jersey, you know. I love that one. That's good looking. Yeah, I wish I was old, able uh, to do the, uh, yeah, that's the road, I think. I didn't do the home because, you know, these these are all yarns. Uh, and if you don't yeah. have the, the exact shade available, you know, and to make, to make that Honolulu blue yarn, we'd have to order so many thousands of pounds of the yarn to make one jersey. So we sure. kind of. We kind of got around that by doing the the white version with just the blue stripes on the sleeve, where where it did call for. So so those you know we didn't talk about this, but there are tech some technical challenges sometimes to doing some of these historic things because in terms of wool or these Doreen jerseys, you know you actually have to have specialty yarns. Yeah, you you can't just go down to the uh, yarn store down the street and and buy it, you know. Yeah. Uh, just hearing you say like the Sammy Baugh, you know, that from the yeah. you know from the you know, Redskins, it's just, I just I'm I'm a huge Sammy Baugh fan, so I can just do I can envision that jersey. Uh, that's just that's cool. So, yeah, amazing. You're, they actually, you're, uh, yeah. You're you're living Jerry, the dream, Jerry. A lot of people. A lot of people dream about doing what you do, and you're doing it, my man. I'm I'm jealous. Well, it's a lot of fun. It's still very, very gratifying to make these things come alive. Yeah. Jerry, we're almost almost out of time, but I'd like to ask uh, where our listeners can contact you as far as your store is concerned. Do you have a store, or is it just uh, online? We we are mostly online. We have a small uh, kind of outlet store in Seattle and, and Pioneer Square area, people know where that is, but uh Ebbets dot com, that's two B's one T, no not two T's, E B B E T S dot com is the website where you can see all the stuff we talked about. And uh, you know, our emails and stuff are are there. So if anyone wants to contact me with a custom order, I I'm the guy who reads those custom order emails still. So um happy to entertain anybody's idea of a custom or, you know, anything else on our site, obviously. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. That's that's, uh, the, the world is there for for customization. So, uh, yeah, I'll be reaching out to you about that Grange, Illinois one great. Uh, a little later today. But, man, I, I can't wait. I Like I said, I ordered my Thorpe 
Canton Bulldog one. I got the sweater. I'm waiting for the for the jersey to show up. So you guys you guys do custom make them. So uh, so we do. Being patient. Uh, yep, they just, take uh, they do take time it. sometimes. Yeah. Thanks very much, you guys. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry. I don't need it for Christmas. All right. <laughs> take care. Jerry, Bye-bye. thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Jerry Cohen, wow. CEO of Ebbets Field Flannel. Wow, what an education. That was amazing. <laughs> so we're in our we're, – we're really – Pressed for time now, so within two minutes, Joe, I'm going to hand off to you immediately. What'd you pick up on tonight's show? Wow, kid in the candy store, Bob. <laughs> just imagine having that job, just getting to like, hey, you uh, walk out to the factory floor. Hey, gentlemen, need a, you know, eat a Sammy Bod jersey. <laughs> just absolutely cool. I just uh, that's pretty cool, uh, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun to hear uh, to hear him start talking about Red Grange, you know, and if I, you know, just you know, it's it'd be like you know talking about the law at a lawyer's convention. It's just you know, it's just, it was yeah. it was fun to hear him, you know, go down that go down that street, and it's like, yeah, this is the one place you can you can nerd out on these things, and and you're in good company. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, you know, to me it parallels it parallels all those jersey and uniform collectors out there who yeah, you know search yeah, everywhere to try to find these you know find these jerseys find these uh, you know game day capes stuff like that and, and that's what it comes to mind with uh, for me you know listening to them and, and to me it's great because it, it does preserve the history of the game and uh, you know somebody somebody walking down down the street with the 1933 Lions. Jersey you could be saying, what team is that? I never saw anything like that, and you know, and you never know yeah. what's going to happen from there. Uh, that's that's uh, the very interesting part of it. So, uh, but that that was it was very interesting to hear the process and and to hear uh, you know what really goes into that process of making these jerseys. I mean, it's it's amazing to say the least. Oh, uh, the video. Right, we got about a, the video about on the website. Left. Oh. The video on their website really goes into the detail about, you know, cutting the fabric, yeah. stitching it. It's pretty fascinating. It's it's and again it's and again a lot of this stuff is special ordered. You got x you got to buy x amount so on and so forth. So you know it's 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 not just like calling the guy up and say all right I I need this uh, jersey by Friday. It's not going to happen yeah. type of thing. You know. It's, yeah. There's a lot involved in it to say the least. So. This is a very, very interesting, very educational point. We're going to be back uh, with uh, our second show of January very soon and uh, wrapping this up. Uh, again, something very different than what we're normally used to as far as uh, a guest, but it was very educational. And, Joe, I thank you for doing the light work on it and uh, obtaining him as a, as a guest for tonight's show. So it was very good, very interesting. And um, I enjoyed seeing the jerseys you picked up. You sent me a few pictures of them, so that was pretty cool, to say the least. <laughs> All right, we're almost out of time. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Remember, com if you're not a subscriber. And you can check out our website, and we'll give you all the subscription and back issue uh, information. Joe, final thoughts real quick. 
Uh, best seat in the house, Bob. Always. Amazing. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Ba 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 ba.